Welcome to Room 106. I'm Richard Garlick from Planning Magazine. And I'm John Gagan, also from Planning Magazine. Every fortnight we enter Room 106, the den of discomfort into which all new planning information is deposited, and extract the key things you need to know. But this time we enter the Slough of Despond with a spring in our step and a song on our lips. That's right, because last week, Room 106 picked up the Professional Publishers Association Podcast of the Year Award. Yes, which is fantastic news. Many thanks to all our listeners. It was the evidence of your engagement with the podcast that apparently swayed the judges. Anyway, on to this week's key news. A Labour government would order combined authorities to identify poor quality Greenbelt land for new homes as part of a plan to solve a housing crisis within 10 years, the party has confirmed. We'll explore the possible implications. A government-backed scheme that aims to recruit 150 graduates for local authority planning departments by 2025 is due to launch in September. More details later on. A Conservative councillor in Derbyshire who delegated an application for 180 homes on Church of England lands to planning officers to determine has been referred to the police after failing to disclose at the time that her husband is an Anglican clergyman. We'll explain the full story. We'll also round up some of the other big news stories of the past fortnight. By the end of the show, you'll be ready to boss the canteen conversation. So, ready to go in? OK. Well, here we are again in room 106. It's as unfriendly looking as ever. Yes. Let's see if we can find some friendly faces. Well, our online editor Toby Porter is here. Hello, Toby. Hi there. I'm going to start by asking you about the Derbyshire councillor story, because that's one that you've been covering. So what exactly happened? What wrongdoing has been alleged? Well, Councillor Jane Orton, who is on Amber Valley Borough Council, delegated the application for Church of England land to planning officers and has been referred to the police after failing to disclose at the time that her husband is an Anglican clergyman. Councillor Orton, who won re-election in May as the Conservative member for the Allport and South West Parishes Ward, was referred to the police by the authority over the consent in Stanley Street, Summercoats. The outlying planning application by House Builders Future Homes and Miller Homes was refused planning permission by the council in December 2019, but this decision was subsequently overturned on appeal by Planning Inspector David Rose in November 2020. The Reserve Matters application, dealing with the scheme's access, scale, layout, appearance and landscaping, was subsequently submitted. According to the council, as Planning Board Chairman, Councillor Orton decided shortly before her re-election that the application should be determined by officers under delegated powers. After a ward member requested that it be called in to be decided by members of the planning board. A spokesman for Derbyshire Police confirmed the force had received a council referral, they said. In quotes, the force has received a report of a potential breach of the Localism Act in Amber Valley in connection with a planning application matter. This is now being reviewed. Okay, so how is the Church of England involved in all this? Well, the Diocese of Derby has confirmed that it sold the site in December 2022, while Future Homes has confirmed that it bought the land from the Diocese that month. So a 2016 article on the Diocese of Derby website is about 
a, quote, high-flying solicitor, Giles Orton, swapping his 35-year legal career for one in the pulpit as an ordained deacon. It says that he was due to become assistant curate for the parishes of Longeaton St. Lawrence and Ilkeston Holy Trinity. Council Orton's Declaration of Interests, updated on 31st of May 2023, lists her husband as clergyman in the Church of England and self-employed trustee of pensions. Okay, and why did the council refer the matter to the police? The complaint against Council Orton was submitted by Summercoats parish councillors, Kelly Judson and Jason Parker. Their complaint says, This complaint is with regard to a failure to disclose information regarding her partner's employment, office, trade or vocation, contrary to the relevant authorities, brackets, disclosed pecuniary interests, regulations 2012-1464. Council Orton's partner is Giles Orton, and as can be seen on the Diocese of Derby, the Church of England website, Giles Orton became an assistant curate and was ordained deacon in July 2016. Continuing to quote the complaint, this information was not disclosed by Jane Orton on completion of Form 11 on 29th of May 2019 and has not been amended since. Jane Orton has acted as a planning board member and lately as a planning chair on numerous planning board decisions with this gross omission in effect. And that's the end of the complaint. Okay, so when you put all of this to Councillor Orton, what what does she say? Well, Councillor Orton told planning, in quotes, this is a sorry case of embittered objectors launching a misguided personal attack. She continues, the principle of a 180 home development on the Brownfield site had been established by the planning inspector. The precise layout was reserved matter, which I decided to leave to officers under their delegated powers considering that this was well within their competence. She continues, I now find myself attacked by parish councillors for a supposed failure to declare interests as the landowner was Derby Diocese, and my husband, and this is no secret, is a non-stipendary clergyman. She continues, in the first place, I was not aware of the ultimate ownership of the land. The developer applicant is usually identified to councillors, but not the landowner. Secondly, my husband is unpaid, so had no pecuniary interest. Council Orton added that under the regulations cited by the complainants, she did disclose her husband's paid activities as a self-employed lawyer and pension fund trustee, but not his curacy, as they only cover employment or trade, in quotes, carried on for profit or gain. Council Orton added, I feel sorry that the objectors, having lost that appeal, should now seek to lash out in this way. One might have hoped they would feel police time would be better spent investigating real criminals. End of her quotes. The council has confirmed it referred the matter to police, but declined to comment further. Okay, Toby, well, thank you for that. And that's something I'm sure we will follow up in future weeks. So maybe we'll see you back in Room 106, to discuss that when you've uh, heard the latest developments. I look forward to it. Okay, John, turning to you next, 
This further developments in terms of uh, Labour's promised approach to planning, should they uh, they win power in the next general election? What new details have been revealed? So last month, the Labour leader, Sakir Starmer, said he would consider changing planning rules to make it easier for councils to build on certain areas of Greenbelt land, which got a lot of coverage in the national press and we discussed it on the podcast. So last week, the Shadow Housing Secretary, Lisa Nandy, revealed more details. She said in an interview with the Daily Telegraph that a Labour government would order combined authorities to identify in her words, poor quality Greenbelt land for new homes as part of the plan to solve the housing crisis within 10 years, which is obviously an ambitious, um, very ambitious objective. So as part of um, this identification of Greenbelt land for new homes, she said the party would set up development corporations to build on the plots identified. Then in a speech at the annual housing conference last week, Nandi promised that the Labour government would provide planning system stability, in her words, and avoid the constant turnover of housing ministers. Any more detail about what she said about Greenbelt release? In the interview, Nandi said that Labour would take on the taboo around the Greenbelt and declassify the poor quality parts, which currently aren't very lucrative for developers, but provide good sites for new housing. She said that combined authorities would be asked to identify the areas to declassify. There are currently 10 combined authorities across England, mostly in large city regions outside London, including Greater Manchester and the Liverpool city region. Nandy said that a lot of the sites are brownfield sites that need some investment in order to decontaminate them and bring them back into use. She promised that Labour would not compromise green open spaces or allow communities to be sucked into the urban sprawl. She said that development corporations would be created to deliver homes on the plots identified. Of course, local authorities can currently declassify Greenbelt land in their local plans, although proposed changes to national planning policy are likely to make that more difficult. But it seems that Labour would allow combined authorities to lead this process. And from what Nandy said, it sounds like central government would be directing them to do this in some way. It remains to be seen whether a Labour government would create more combined authorities across England. Otherwise, this process would be limited to the biggest city regions outside of London. These comments you made about stability in the planning system, um, any new detail about Labour's approach to changing the planning system? So... She said that the rapid turnover of housing ministers in the last 13 years was one of the biggest issues that developers have faced in trying to sustain growth. And her opposite number, the current housing minister, Rachel McLean, who's now four months into the job, became the sixth housing minister in just over a year when she took over in February and the 15th since 2010. So Nandy also said three rounds of government attempts at planning reform, as well as last December's suggested overhaul of the National Planning Policy Framework, had added to this uncertainty around planning and development. She told the housing conference she was speaking at, 17 housing ministers and three major overhauls of the planning system have made it impossibly hard to plan for next week, let alone next year. Every house builder I've spoken to has told me one thing, desperation for transparent, long-term planning frameworks, quicker decisions and a more stable political environment. Today I say we have heard you and this is how we will govern. 
no plan can be realised without stability, and this will be our watchword. So clearly Labour has picked up on a lot of the discontent in the planning and development sectors at the seemingly non-stop changes and attempted changes to the planning system in the last few years and even stretching back the past decade, arguably. And it's a running joke in the sector how quickly housing ministers are changed. But so many governments of different colours have attempted to carry out changes to the planning system. I think our listeners might be a bit cynical about this particular promise. She also gave some clarification on Labour's promised changes to the compulsory purchase order system. Our listeners may remember that Labour announced some details on this in early June. Party sources said in government it would change CPO rules to allow public bodies to buy land to develop without taking account of the increase in hope value, which is caused by a grant of planning permission. So that's the uplift in the price of land when it receives planning permission if the public bodies can show that it's in the public interest to do so. There weren't many details revealed at the time. And at the time, that there was a bit of concern, I felt, in the development sector and among some planning consultancies that Labour might be adopting quite a radical approach to this issue of hope value. But Nandi made some, um, tried to make some reassuring comments at the housing conference. She said that this process would only be allowed where it can support large-scale development, more social and affordable housing, and increased supply to create growth and prosperity. She said, we're not talking about giving councils unlimited powers, scrapping property rights, or expropriating land at below market value. This power will sit with development corporations, with local leaders, communities and business working hand in hand and in the driving seats. So some attempts there, I think, to reassure the development sector about Labour's approach. And also, again, we've got reference to development corporations. So it looks like development corporations are going to feature quite prominently in Labour's changes to the planning system. Another interesting comment from the Wigan MP was that a Labour government require every area to have a plan for their place, a local growth plan, which includes housing delivery. And it's unclear how that would be different to the current system of local plans that each council has to prepare. But she referred to every area having it rather than every local authority. So perhaps they're looking at plans over bigger than council areas, which might please people who want to see um, strategic planning having a stronger role in um, the planning system. She also said that the Labour government would reverse many of the changes to the MPPF in December 2022 and reintroduce what she called local housing targets. So that's referring to the government proposals to weaken the requirement for councils to meet local housing need figures in their local plan housing targets. And um, that's reiterating uh, similar comments by Keir Starmer recently. Interesting to hear that she said that they're not expecting to allow land to be bought by councils at below market value. I I guess we'll have to look into that a bit further, but it, it, it seems to undermine the whole potential benefit of the um, approach to compulsory purchase that they have been flagging. It would appear on the face of it not to be a million miles from what the government's currently proposing, which is to allow, in very specific circumstances, that to take place. And then this third story, uh, which sounds very interesting, a, a, a new scheme to recruit graduates into planning departments and, and kind of support their education financially. What is it and, and how is the government supporting it? So it's called the Pathways to Planning Programme and aims to support aspiring graduates into the planning sector. It's being set up by the Local Government Association, which is the umbrella body for councils. 
together with the Planning Advisory Service, which is part of the LGA. The Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities announced last week that it provides £1.59 million in grant funding over two years to help set up and deliver the scheme. So the department said in a statement that part of the objective is to recruit diverse talent and ensure councils represent the communities they serve. It's due to open to applications on 18th of September and in its first year the scheme will offer around 30 graduates a placement while they receive a bursary to study towards a planning master's. According to the LGA, the programme is modelled on the current National Graduates Development Programme for local government which works with over 100 councils to get 200 graduates into local government placements each year. The LGA also said that Pathways to Planning would recruit up to 30 individuals in its pilot year who will be placed with councils by March of next year. A spokesman also told us that it hopes to offer up to 120 placements in the second year of the scheme. So that would be quite, that would represent a very big expansion in the second year, four times the number. The first cohort of 30 graduates would work for the council's planning team alongside studying for an RTPI accredited master's programme that starts in September 2024. So we know there's long been a problem with local authority resources that stems from the um, austerity programme of the Cameron Osborne government, but it's become a real crisis in the last few years. And it's not just planners who frequently raise this, it's also the development sector because They say it's a real problem for them because it holds up the determination of planning applications and as well as local plan production. Okay, and um, are there other ways in which the government is supporting local planning authority teams? Yes, we already have the Planning Skills Delivery Fund, which was announced by the Housing Minister in May and aims to help local authorities deal with a backlog of planning applications and prepare for upcoming changes to the planning system. And this delivery fund is separate to the uh, Planning for Pathways scheme. The government also in May announced an increase in the size of the bursaries on offer through the RTPI scheme to encourage students to study planning at postgraduate level. And in the same month, the government also announced uh, £1 million for the um, social enterprise public practice to expand its programme of placing built environment professionals in council planning teams. This is going to allow public practice to expand into the Midlands and the South West for the first time. The government is supposed to be putting up planning fees, isn't it, as well? And uh, I believe that was due to have happened by this summer. They consulted on a significant rise for planning application fees and talked about those fees being ring-fenced for spending in council planning departments, but no news on that yet. Yeah, still waiting to hear about that as long, along, alongside... Um, Several other big consultation responses, including the um, the MPPF, of course, the big one. Great stuff. And uh, what else has been happening? Just, you know, any other stories that we need to sort of round up? Yes, there's been a couple of significant court judgments. So firstly, the High Court has decided that government rules aiming to mitigate the impact of nutrient pollution on protected waterways, as you described as uh, nutrient neutrality rules, These apply to the discharge of planning conditions as well as the earlier permission stage. The court has blocked a developer's bid to avoid these uh, nutrient neutrality requirements in relation to a 650 home scheme. In the same judgment, the court also ruled that the legal basis of these requirements, which is in European law, 
still stands despite Brexit, which is uh, notable. The second court judgment is from the Court of Appeal, an inspector's approval of 475 homes on an unallocated site near Worthing, West Sussex, was rightly overturned, the Court of Appeal ruled, due to an error when considering the scheme's likely impacts on a nearby national park. The judge found that the official fails to meet the standard required, in the words of the judgment. There's more news on local plan delays. Inspectors have agreed to a request by Mole Valley District Council in Surrey to pause its local plan examination for a third time until changes to the national planning policy framework have been finalised. And we just mentioned that we're still waiting for the government's response on that. And finally, a construction firm has been ordered to pay £15,000 in fines after it repeatedly breached planning permission conditions in relation to a hospital redevelopment in Richmond, southwest London. Well, thanks very much, John. And any quirky stories this week that you want to flag to the reader's attention? Yes, there was one that caught our eye and seemed to catch the eye of, of readers because it got a lot of web traffic. In our daily newspaper roundup, we featured a report that a chairman of a development firm staged a one-man protest outside a local authority's headquarters over delays in relation to the firm's plans for a 3,000 home scheme. The story featured in the Daily Record in Scotland and concerned a protest by Sandy Adam of Springfield Properties outside the offices of Stirling Council in Scotland. It was a pretty eye-catching protest. He had placards and a giant model snail. And um, his concerns were over a five-year delay in the council's determination of the firm's Jury's Hill development, which proposes 3,000 homes in the area. So it's a pretty meaty scheme. Do you think he was hoping to sort of mobilise the the silent majority who we hear about a lot, that once they saw somebody protesting in favour of house building, they would they would come out and sort of wave placards and sort of match the numbers you see protesting against house building plans? Oh, he was certainly trying to catch the eye of the um, the media, wasn't he? So um, he seems to, have, seems to have succeeded in that with a giant snail. Fantastic. Thanks very much, John. And of course, listeners can read more on all of these stories at planningresource.co.uk. Well, I think our work is done. Let's get out before there are any more announcements or decisions. Great, that's another fortnight summarised. Yes, we'll be back with a bonus edition next week. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe wherever you normally get your podcasts. And to get a daily bulletin of planning news, plus weekly analysis and specialist bulletins, subscribe at planningresource.co.uk. Our thanks to producers Hannah Holt from Haymarket Business Media and Daisy Chaku from Rethink. And thanks for listening. See you next time.